You may not be surprised to learn that I do not attend a gym. No. I know. <laughs> Physical fitness is good and helpful, and we should, um, we should make the most of that. I'm just not that interested in being ripped. Um, I've thought about it. I've decided otherwise. That's how I like to imagine the decision I've made. One of the reasons I don't like going to the gym, I know it isn't just about becoming someone who has like a tiny head on a massive body, is um, <laughs> there's more to it than that. And so if that works for you, that's really fine. But the motivational slogans, you know the posters around many gyms, I, they don't work for me. I think they are, well, I think they're ridiculous. So this is the kind of thing I mean. The pain you feel today will be the strength you feel tomorrow. Come on, you're feeling it. I know some of you are probably going to leave after a couple more of these. You're like, I just need to get to the gym right now. No matter how slow you go, you are still lapping everyone on the couch. <laughs> Remember that guy who gave up? Neither does anyone else. <laughs> and then life doesn't give you what you want, it gives you what you deserve. And this is my favorite. Sweat is fat crying. <laughs> Come on! Feeling the deep burn, you're like, take that fat! Amazing. Many people would consider the church in the West in dire need of some weight training. In dire need of getting fit, of getting sorted out. Needs some motivational slogans, needs some people shouting at it. There's people saying, come on, shape up, sort yourself out, work harder. Many of us respond to our own personal failings in that way. When we mess up, when we uh, create a disaster, when we simply fail to do what we know we should do, our response, our normal response is to say, no, come on, shape up, work harder, believe for this, come on, let's go. Now, there are lots of legitimate human activities that God has um, provided for us to do and provided strength for us uh, within us and for us to learn and develop and grow and, and do, and that's totally fine. That's totally right. We are built with the capacity to be strengthened, to grow, to learn and to apply uh, that knowledge and that strength. There's a whole load of areas in which that is a good and right way to live. But to live for God and to increase the reach of his kingdom on earth right now, the things within us are insufficient. They will not do the job. They cannot do the job. And sometimes you'll be frustrated with yourself. You're thinking, why aren't I able to do this? I'm working so hard. And the reason is the strength you have cannot achieve what you need it to achieve. We cannot rely solely on harnessing and developing the strength within us. We need power from God. This was the normal experience of the first Christians. This was what they did. This was how they lived. And against seemingly massive odds, they changed the world. And I have no reason to believe that God has changed his methods since then. 
Some people think he has. I just have no, there's no compelling uh, evidence to me that God has changed his mind about how he is going to work in the lives of believers and in this world to advance his kingdom since the days of his word uh, when it was written. I think it's still the same today. And that is that we need God's power. We need him, God the Holy Spirit, to be with us. And I want to show you that that's the case today. And if you're not a Christian, you're here today, and you think, well, I know what Christians are about. They are about the motivational slogans. They are about saying, you're rubbish, improve. Well, you may well be rubbish, but the good news is Jesus doesn't say improve. He says, I'm here to help. I'm here to rescue you from the mistakes you've made and to bring you into a new life full of strength and peace and hope. And so as I show uh, through God's word uh, what he has said about our need for him, I hope you'll get that and respond to it in some way. You see, here as a church, we believe that what God has said in his word is for us today. It shapes us. It determines us. I want to show you there's such good news in there uh, for us as we look at uh, getting power and being free from powerlessness. We've reached chapter 3 of Paul's letter to the Galatians, and uh, we're going to be uh, looking at that in just a moment. There are two major themes here. Uh, you will probably work them out by noticing what Paul uh, repeatedly talks about. I'm going to read the first 14 verses. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer or experience so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one's justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I'd say there's two quite clear themes here. One is faith. You heard Paul use that word again and again. That's a big deal. It's important. And the other one is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. And it's that that we are going to focus on today. The Spirit is mentioned four times uh, in this passage. And kind of four times, but three points in time. As it were. So in verses 2 and 3, Paul says, Did you receive the Spirit I, when you first received the Spirit? And then he says in the next verse, Having begun by the Spirit. And then in verse 5, he says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you? And then in verse 14, he talks about the promised Spirit. And we're going to put these in chronological order uh, to see why the ongoing experience of the Holy Spirit's 
presence and power was foundational to Paul's understanding of Christianity and Christian life, and therefore why being filled with the Spirit, knowing him and his power today, is absolutely essential for us. It's not a negotiable. It's not one of those things like, well, you think this, I think that. It's essential. It's clearly taught throughout the whole Bible. I want to show you that today, because I want you to be convinced by it, so that you can then, with faith, say to God, would you please do that for me today? And that's how we'll end our meeting. Uh, well, hopefully I'll be done by like quarter two, and we're going to have some time just inviting God to come out and meet with us, and have his way among us. The church, this church, was born in that way. This church was started by people who were filled with God's Spirit. It was part of and is part of a family of churches who believe that the role of the Holy Spirit in people and the church today is essential. So it's part of our heritage. If you're part of this church, this is where you came from. But you can never assume that that's how things will always be. You see throughout history, people always think, oh, this will keep going just as it was, and it very rarely does. And so on every generation, in fact, every year, it's incumbent on us to make sure that we know how we are to live for God and what we need, in fact, who we need in order to do that. So often I come across people and their life, they're just kind of stuck. It's the same point, same point. They're not getting the breakthrough. It's not changing for them. Or they just don't quite get it. And they thought, I've looked at this and I've read that and I've thought about this and I've thought about that and I still don't get it. And to be honest, more often than not, I think the answer is you need the Holy Spirit. He is the one who brings breakthrough. He can break through walls. He is the one who turns the lights on in our minds, gives us understanding, helps us to see. He is the one who educates our mouths so that we can speak for him. If you want to do any of those things, if you want to experience any of those things, if you want people around you to do and experience those things, you and they need the Holy Spirit. So let me keep making my case. Firstly, the promised spirit. The first of Paul's points in time is actually the last one he mentions. He says that before you Galatians had even heard of the God of Israel, before you'd even heard of Jesus, God had promised to send his spirit to you. In the Old Testament, which is the forerunner, it's the New Testament from which we've just read, it's the, the, the way everything got started. We see isolated incidents where the spirit of God falls on people. He encounters them, and God enables them to do things they would not otherwise have been able to do. That's what he does. So there's a guy called Bezalel in Exodus 35. And Moses says of him, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. It's just ability was given to Bezalel that he didn't have before. He might have trained in all of this stuff, but now something's changed for him. Samson. Famously, everyone imagines Samson. He's enormous. He's the kind of guy who looks like he would have been at the gym and would have loved all the slogans. An enormous guy. But actually, the Bible says Samson's strength doesn't come from his body. He might have looked like me. He doesn't, it's, that's not where his strength comes from. His strength comes from God. So Judges 14, verse 6, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. Now, I frankly don't know how you tear a young goat, but... <laughs> Clearly, that's easier than tearing a lion. 
Samson isn't a lion trainer. He's not someone who towers over this lion. He's just a normal person. But when the Spirit of God comes on him, he can kill a lion. Even King Saul. Uh, if you know the Old Testament, he is a, he's a, very, a useless king. He's a, he's a mess. But it says of him in 1 Samuel chapter 10, when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him and the Spirit of God rushed upon him and he prophesied among them. He's able to speak and declare the words of God. These are rare occasions. I could list all of them for you and honestly, it wouldn't take that long. They are glimpses and they feel like kind of there's a tension going on. As God says to his people, you are not obeying me as I called you to. And they say, we're trying, but it's not working. And over time, God reveals why that's happening. Why is it that by in and of ourselves, we can't, we can't obey God, we can't live for him, even when, like Israel was, they were brought into a relationship with God. Well, God explains why this is happening and also that he has a solution for it. He says through the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 36, he says, I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I'll put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. So saying, until this point, you've been unresponsive to me. I, there's, there's just no life in you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. That's how you can get to walk with God. God says... When he gives you a new heart and puts his spirit within you. Joel, another prophet, chapter 2. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my spirit. So God's saying, a time will come when I do this. Your experience now is that one or two people encounter me. A time will come, God says, all flesh, men and women, rich and poor, every background, every age, can encounter me, encounter my spirit. And then the last of the Old Testament prophets, uh, who's in the New Testament, John the Baptist, he heralds Jesus as the one who's going to make this promise happen. He says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then Jesus comes on the scene and certainly doesn't say, well, actually, guys, that's not at all what I'm here to do. Jesus says, that is exactly what I'm here to do. That is who I am. John 7, Jesus at a great feast stands up and says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Then he says in John 14, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Who do they know who is God who dwells with them at this point? Jesus. And Jesus is now saying, myself and the Father will send you ourselves, our Spirit, this helper who will no longer dwell with you, but will dwell in you. He says at the end of Luke, 
Um, oh, no, sorry, another thing he says in John 14. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Then he says in Luke 24, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And then in Acts chapter 1, he tells them, Don't leave Jerusalem yet, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is a lot of promise. That is a pile of promised things that God has said, I am going to do. I want to do. I am going to do. You are going to be able to experience my power. You are going to know my presence. You are going to have ability which you didn't previously do. You're going to have supernatural ability to do things. You are going to be able to obey me in a way that you didn't, couldn't before. You will know life within you, proper life. You will have peace. God is promising all those things. Who here could do with some of those? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I know all of you, all of us, very few of us would feel satisfied with the amount of power we see in our life, with God breaking in. We're like, well, occasional, a little bit, I'd like to see some more. Yeah? Is everyone here feeling perfectly at peace this morning? I'm going to guess probably not entirely. Is everyone here finding themselves able to live for God consistently? When we're going through those moments, when we're encountering that, when we're realizing that's the case, again, how often do we think, I need to get to the gym? How often do we think, God, I need more of you? Lord, I need more of your presence. I need more of your spirit in my life. I think that's what the Bible tells us we need. Yeah, you need discipline. Yeah, you need to work hard. Yeah, you need to learn. But what you need above all, is the Holy Spirit. The promise of God is for an empowering divine presence, not simply an increased motivation or improved human ability. Okay? That is what God is promising you. That's what God has got for you. That's what Paul means when he refers to the promised Holy Spirit. All of that biblical truth is behind that phrase that Paul says, the promised Holy Spirit. The cliffhanger question is, when will this promise be fulfilled? When is it going to happen? Well, the Galatians have already got it. They have already encountered the Spirit. Paul says, you received the Spirit. Do you remember he says you begun by the Spirit? They were clearly aware of an event that Paul could say, do you remember when that happened? He doesn't say, I guess at some point, you know, there's no abstract here. Something happened to them. Something happened for them that Paul could point them back to and say, do you remember that happening? You began by the Spirit. You received the Spirit when you believed. You encountered the presence and the power of God. You knew Him. 
That's what happened to the Galatians. That's what happens to all the Christians in the New Testament. All of them, everywhere. Acts 2 tells us, it begins at Pentecost. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it, appeared, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It begins and it keeps going. Peter preaches, explaining uh, to a baffled crowd what's going on. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then what? And then go home? No, don't you dare leave without what follows. He says, You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the promise has come. All that build up, all those hundreds of years of people seeing glimpses of it but not quite getting it, of God saying, I'm going to give you life and power and presence right where you are. Peter says, it's now. It has begun. Because the promise, Peter says, is for you and for your children, the next generation not yet here, and for all who are far off. Suddenly, Peter goes from one place in Jerusalem, at one point of time, to all of history and all of geography, all who are far off. The gift is for them. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. If you're a Christian, I want you to consider, am I one of everyone whom the Lord my God has called to himself? If you are, that is qualification. And Acts backs this up repeatedly. In Acts chapter 8, it tells us that some Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. They were the Jews, kind of bitter neighbor, like they hated each other. God gives them the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 9, Paul, who up until this point has been killing Christians, becomes a Christian because Jesus invades his life, and he is filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, it's Gentiles now, people who had no background with God at all, and they receive the Holy Spirit as well. And Luke is telling us by this, he's saying the Spirit came in Jerusalem to Jews, and then in Samaria to Samaritans, even though you never thought God would have given them, and then to Paul, an enemy of God, an enemy of God's people who's trying to kill them. He received the Spirit too, and then to the Gentiles, because the Spirit is being given to all whom our Lord Uh, the Lord our God will call to him. On and on it goes. And so when Paul describes to the Christians in Ephesus what happened to them, Ephesus, which is in kind of modern-day Turkey, so again, going further and further away, he says, You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Paul says to them, that's what happened to you as well. It's what happens to all of us. That's what he's saying. Just as a kind of sidebar, this is because the kingdom of God is an eschatological moment, meaning the end of time has broken in to now. Jews expected there'd be a resurrection of the dead at the end of time. When Jesus raises from the dead in AD 33 or whenever about around there it was, he brings something from the end of time to the present moment. And suddenly the kingdom of God has broken out on earth now. We thought it was going to come at the end, but actually suddenly it's here. It's now. And something that was from the end is now right in the midst. 
And Jesus doesn't say, that was a one-off moment of the end in the present, and now we're back to normal again. No, he says, I'm going to the Father. We will send the Spirit, the presence of God, whom you will enjoy forever in the time to come. He's coming to you now. The Spirit has broken in now, and he is the ongoing sense of God's people living today, but also in forever already. We don't have the complete fulfillment of that, but it's going on. And that's a slightly mind-blowing thing, but I just want you to know that's happening. The future age of God is at work in every one of us in whom this Holy Spirit is at work. Side point, if you don't get it, it's fine, but I just want to say it because it's true. The assumption that Christians would receive the Holy Spirit is in Paul's letter to the Romans, in both his letter to the Corinthians, in his letter to the Ephesians, his letter to the Philippians, his letter to the Colossians, and both the Thessalonians, to Timothy and Titus, as well here in Galatians as well. All through his writings, Paul assumes Christians have received the Holy Spirit of God. It's not a one-off, wasn't no special guys over there, it's everyone. Receiving the Spirit is meant to be a a normal part of Christian life. And if you're wondering why your life may not seem much like the Christianity described in the Bible, I want to suggest to you, probably you need more of the Holy Spirit. Because he's the one who makes that happen. And some people at this point are like, well, I've heard a lot of that, I understand all that, but the thing is, my life's a bit of a mess. I haven't really got myself sorted. And so you think, once I've got myself sorted, then I'll be given the Spirit. I want to tell you, that's nonsense. That's why Paul says, you foolish Galatians. Because they're like, I need to behave, and then God will give me his Spirit. Paul says, you cannot behave until you have the Spirit. You just can't do it. It's ridiculous. It's like saying, if I behave really well, then I'll go, well, God's like, no, I'm going to give you the power you need to obey me, and then you'll be able to obey me. The whole problem with these guys in Galatians, they're saying you need to obey God's law and then you'll be blessed. And Paul's saying you can't. You just can't. It's why they keep messing it up in the Old Testament. It's why you mess it up when you try in your own strength. Because you need the supernatural power of God to be at work in you. Here's the conditions. Here's the condition to receive the Spirit as we see in the New Testament. Jesus says, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. There's your qualification. Be thirsty. Be desperate. Be in need. Because this is always how the good news of Christianity works. Again, if you're not a Christian here today, and some of this, you're like, I'm not quite sure I get this. It's a long way from my experience. I totally understand. I went to a Catholic church when I was young. So the first time I came into a church that believed in this kind of stuff, my mind was blown. So I'm, I'm with you in that. But if you're not a Christian, you don't understand how Christianity works. Let me explain to you right now. It isn't that you get fixed and then God blesses you. It's that you're a mess and God can fix you. You bring your sins to him in repentance. He gives you forgiveness and redemption and healing. Here, in the case of the Spirit, you bring your weakness. He provides his strength. It works that way around. It always works that way around. And finally... Not just as a one-off, not just as a starter, not just kind of as you become a Christian, it's like you kind of get, like, I don't know, like, you know, your parents used to kind of push you in a car or a bike, they kind of shove you off, and you keep going for a bit, you've got some momentum, but eventually it stalls, 
And then you're like, oh, now I need to start pedaling. No, the Bible says, and in fact, Paul says to the Galatians, this isn't a one-off. This is always to be your experience. He says, God supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you. Many of us, we just, it's, it's awkward, isn't it? It's awkward when you're coming to God in need. You feel a bit bad. You're like, God, I can't believe I need to ask you. It's like Oliver, isn't it? I need some more. I know you're going to shout, but I need some more. Listen, God provides the air that you breathe. Yeah? He provides the air that you breathe and the lungs that you breathe with. He is not underwhelmed by your inability to live without him. He can cope. He knows. Yeah? He knows. So often we're like, God, I'm sorry. I'm going to need to ask you for some more strength. He's like, that's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. I'm going to give you that again today. Present tense. This word that Paul uses supplies the spirit to you. It isn't, you know, it's not like the kind of grudging agreement of a payment to a worker who's done a bit of, bit of a botched job. It's like, oh, I suppose I have to pay you because you know, we signed a contract or whatever. The word kind of means, it was often used of people who, who actually donated to the theatre. It's like people who loved the Greek theatre and they're like, well, we'll pay for the chorus to, to happen. And it's like, it's intense plus that. So it, there's a sense of a joyful liberality to it. God isn't like, oh, these idiots need the spirit again. He's like, great, I get to give them the spirit. That's my favourite thing to do. I love pouring out my spirit on them, not just once, but again and again and again, because it's present tense. In Ephesians, he says to them, go on being filled with the spirit. He doesn't say you were filled with the spirit once and that should get you through for the next 30 years. He says, keep doing it. Keep receiving the spirit. Keep getting his power. In Romans 8, he says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. 1 Corinthians 12, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered, are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Present tense, present tense, present tense, present tense. Now, not just back then, now, not a little bit, loads, not just in one way, many ways. Do you want the power of God? Do you want to experience the love of God? Do you want God to give you gifts and abilities to bless others and to strengthen yourself as well. Well, the Bible says that if the answer to any or all of those questions is yes, then you need the Holy Spirit. Again and again and again. The New Testament teaches us he was who God promised us, now we have him. He comes to all who are believers. He is a gift from God for everyone who puts their trust in Jesus and we can receive him again and again and again and again. And that again includes today. It includes right now. There's a lot more I could say, but I'd much rather we got him more involved. Uh, he, gave, he has given us this word that testifies to him and now I just believe that he wants to come and meet with us. Does that sound good? It's great.
great.